0: Andrew, what was a raccoon? The adolescent raccoon that was giving me so much trouble last week. Hi, welcome to Overdue, it's a podcast about the books you even mean to read. My name is Craig.
1: My name is Andrew, and if you're just tuning in, you will remember that last week when we recorded, Craig had an animal in his wall that was giving him a lot of grief. He had he had a roommate move in and claim yeah. squatters' rights in our wall. And after hearing the animal noises over the phone, a man said with a pretty high degree of confidence, as I recall, that it was definitely an adolescent raccoon. Yes. That was not that's not how it turned out, how the story turned out.
0: No, a very kind man named Jared came to my house the next morning and promptly within hearing it. And he had also laid eyes on the outside of the building said, oh, yeah, that's a starling. That's a bird in your wall. And he spent half an hour trapped inside our closet <laughs> after cutting a hole in a wall. And then he said, hey, it's two birds in there. Uh, okay. So and then he shoved him in a cage humanely and then sealed up our wall and left never to be seen again.
1: Well, you know what they say. a Bird in the hand is worth two in the wall. wall. Yeah, I guess just like. Is the exchange rate one adolescent raccoon equals two starlings? And is that why he thought it was an adolescent raccoon? several
0: birds dressed up as a raccoon. I guess maybe just the guy on the phone had dealt with enough raccoons that he, he told, we got told a story about how young raccoons like lose their way in the tunnels between houses. Uh Uh-huh. And this was like, no, a bird got in through a hole and then fell, and then the bigger bird didn't want to leave it behind, which is noble, I suppose, <laughs> but we didn't get any sleep, so I was sure. I've never been less angry, no more angry at animals, I think mm-hmm. than I was those days but we're yeah. we're we're here now, and there are still loud birds in our neighborhood, but they're not in my house, <laughs> which is where they should be, so. That's one story wrapped up. But yeah, on this podcast, on this
1: podcast, we love stories. That's but normally true. when we're not getting animals in places where animals shouldn't be. Each of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell the other one about it. And you, the listener, get to ride along.
0: Yeah, Craig, that's true. What did you read this week for uh, the show? I Overdue. read "My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry" by Frederick Bachman. Um it is also published in the UK, I think, as My yes. Grandmother Sends Her Regards and Apologizes. Um Which do you like better? I do think I like the US version better.
1: Because I want I want the UK one to be my grandmother sends her regards and apologies and yeah. not apologizes.
0: Apologizes is very odd, though I guess in keeping with the te- tell you she's sorry it's like more active than sends her regards and apologies but I do like the tell you she's sorry it just it's simpler it's I don't know it's more direct maybe that's more American of me I don't know sure yeah Um, Bachman is what he's Swedish right yes yeah Um, I think the translation is by Henning Koch Henning Koch Um, and I enjoyed the translation just fine um, I had no like that. I know I had no. A ringing endorsement. It what, was fine. There, there, we've talked about some novels that get translated and it's like you can't you lose a sense of authorial intent sometimes because I think we talked about this a little bit on the Shadow of the Wind episode. Like, yeah. where is it leaning into the genre and where is it leaning into just a flowery translation? Mm-hmm. And the fact that this book is a very close third person of a seven-going-on-eight-year-old helps with the, like, directness of the language. Um sure. Like, feeling justified in-world, but also probably keeping the translator from, like, kind of getting out there on, on a limb. Okay. What? I don't know what idiom I wanted. <laughs> um, this was recommended to us by one of our Patreon supporters, Susan. Thank you, Susan. Uh, Susan didn't provide any additional information. Susan is very excited to tell us to read this book. So... That's all well, I got. We're just gonna have
1: to reverse engineer <laughs> Susan's opinion about this book. Hey, that's go.
0: okay. There we go. That sounds good. Uh, what do you got uh, on Bachman or the novel, Andrew?
1: Yeah, a little, uh, just a little bit on um, on Bachman and the novel. So the novel, like you said, is published in 2015 in the US and in the UK, and then originally in 2013 in Sweden. Uh, this is Bachman's second novel. I, I think, think so. Uh, yeah. His first, uh, a man called Uva. Which I watched a movie trailer, like, and I kept going back every time a character said his name. So that's that's the best pronunciation I got based on the trailer for the film. Sure. The Swedish movie that came out in 2015 by the same name, A Man Called Uwe. Yes. Uh, which, as far as I can tell, is about a cranky old man with a heart of gold.
0: Cranky old man with a heart of gold. And this book is littered with cranky people with hearts of gold. So you can see there's a if a you've thematic. read yeah if you've read <laughs> a man called uva you probably will feel right at home and liked it like you'll feel at home in this book because there's a similar worldview i suppose yeah that's what characters. i was when
1: I, when i was reading through uh reader reviews of of this i saw a couple people mention you know i've i've read a bunch of bachman's work and this is the most similar to the man called uva except with a bunch of other stuff which we'll get into sure sure um yeah, other books include uh, Brit Marie Was Here, Beartown, which sounds like fun, uh-huh. Us Against You, and then novellas, every mor- And Every Morning the Way Home Gets Longer and Longer, and The Deal of a Lifetime, and then a nonfiction book called Things My Son Needs to Know About the World.
0: Brit Marie Was Here might be in the same universe, like fictionally, as uh, this book. Uh, my grandmother etc because that's one of the main one of the characters that we meet one of the secondary characters that we meet and from what i could read about the synopsis it definitely picks up where that character leaves off in this book of okay a a woman whose marriage falls apart and she goes off to like explore a new chapter in her life um so i don't i don't know that it's been called a sequel i would have expected it to be um but. I think it's more
1: of a view askew universe situation.
0: Yes, definitely. Where
1: things are where things are vaguely related by virtue of not directly contradicting one another. Oh, and sure, sure, sure. Sometimes Silent Bob shows up. Oh.
0: <laughs> I forgot that that's what that universe was called, and I forgot that it was a universe.
1: Yeah. The only I feel like, I, like every 75 episodes or so, I bring up the view universe
0: in reference to some kind of world-building attempt. One of those movies I've ever spent real time with is Dogma, which I don't know if it holds up, but I liked it. I liked
1: it at the time, and I think I'd choose to leave it back there, though Alan Rickman's good in it, as I recall.
0: Yes, Alan mm. Rickman
1: is good in it. Interesting.
0: Okay, uh, that's what I got about... <laughs> him <laughs> he was about a, the book that he did. He's a he's also like a newspaper columnist and essayist and then got yeah. into novel writing. Um there's a New York Times profile of him, on him from 2016 mostly on the like wow, this we guy is selling lots of books. Like that's the angle. <laughs> um and (sighs) and he said well like why the the it's selling lots of books in america like how did that happen and it it, okay that's all right yeah it it traces it from like the rejection of the uva manuscript which he said one publisher said we like your novel we think your writing has potential but we see no commercial potential uh and one of the like booksellers who acquired the rights Peter Borland said uh, it had a great voice and it was different from everything else i was reading it wasn't scandinavian noir it was scandinavian he paused searching for the right description something else <laughs> so <laughs> i it is interesting to think about it as a, as an american book industry the like the Swedish export from the like mid to late aughts was Stieg Larsson and like the girl with the dragon tattoo and that whole mm-hmm. thing, and then this guy. Is that's the-
1: more. I've never read any of those, but that's more of like a thriller sort. Yes, of
0: yes. Archetype, right? Yes. Um, and this is very different and a whole different thing. Um, yeah. So
1: reading, um reading reviews about the book and cuz cuz you asked me to just like come with uh, some kind of vague handle on what the book was.
0: Yeah, please.
1: And like you said to me like it's not quite sick lit, like the the Can you define does... that on
0: air cuz cuz we talked about it sure. on our own but not when we were playing yeah. drive trucks, right? Yes.
1: Uh sick lit is a sort of usually a YA fiction where a character dies or is dying and that is the like Either the the instigating event of the story, or just like the axis that everything sort of yeah. So like you're like on.
0: the um what's the John Green book? Uh, Fault in Our Stars. Fault in Our Stars. Maybe it's either a Walk to Remember and or the Britney Spears movie Crossroads. It's <laughs> yeah. It's some. You got to spend the last good times with someone's life. Right. Kind of book. Yeah, the
1: the one that I that came to mind that I read for the show a while ago, but that I still think about sometimes is uh Tell the Wolves I'm Home, oh, I think yeah, is the yeah, name yeah. of it. Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. um it's a girl's uncle's like boyfriend is dying of AIDS in like the late eighties or early nineties. Sure. Sure. And teaches the girl a little something about life along the way. Like it's it's easy to be it's easy to be dismissive of the of the genre. And so so this isn't quite that, but it's sort of playing in that wheelhouse it there is there is a character death and that does set the events of the of the book into motion. But it sounds like in addition to just being about like people with hearts of gold, it's also got some like sort of magical realismy, sort of make-believe it has some make-believe going stuff going on. on.
0: Yeah. Let me give you the really reductive sentence that I put in our chat before we started recording. You already
1: gave you already gave, it, you already gave it you already gave it to me you don't have to You have to give it to me again that's what i'm saying
0: I have it already Let me just say it out loud in case anyone else needs to hear it
1: Okay if you think that's necessary An
0: 8-year-old learns that a bunch of adults out. in her life are more connected than she thought and that everyone is more complicated than they seem at first glance and that is like definitely <laughs> what happens in the book Um, (laughs) and it is run through this you know main character Elsa who is seven going on eight she is quote-unquote different is a is a term that both she and people people who like her and people who don't like her consider her different and it's like either a good or a bad thing based on whether or not you like her she's Mm -hmm. uh, a very precocious kid she's super smart she loves to read Um, but she also Loves to tell people when they're wrong and loves to like... Yeah, people love that. Yeah. (laughs) Loves to like... find that super endearing. ...wield that knowledge that she, you know, really ingests a lot of information and then like is pretty insightful about how people behave and just her peers, her seven-year-old boys are not prepared to receive that type of treatment from anyone, Mm. let Mm -hmm. alone a girl um if you can't hear my eye roll and the whiplash I gave my neck from being a seven-year-old boy there for a second right um yeah. so she really only has one friend who really gets her and that is her granny who i think is 77 um and she because
1: she's she is seven and then granny is 77 yes yes
0: and granny is like oh uh, man take multiple versions of the like outside the box grandparent from fiction but like and roll it into one but like she's not super problematic like she's not you know spouting off with stuff that she shouldn't say necessarily she's not racist she's not like a racist
1: grandma she's more like the grandparents from hey
0: arnold yes (laughs) she's a she's an agent of chaos granny Mm -hmm. is um and her and elsa get along very very well and so the the it's not quite the inciting incident in the book but the major incident in the first quarter of the book is that granny does pass away from cancer and she leaves this like treasure hunt of letters for elsa to find and then deliver to various people who live in their apartment building um and over the course, we'll get we'll dive deeper than this, but like the arc of the book is um, Elsa learns about Granny while also thinking about how to like remember her as she encounters people she thought she knew one way, but then like based on how she interacts with them, trying to deliver these letters and trying to uncover who they actually are, like learns a little bit more about them and how they're the book, the fairy tale thing. Yeah, I was gonna ask
1: because this this part sounds pretty straightforward, but how does to the extent that this book lost people in the Goodreads reviews that okay. I encountered, it was all the jumping around between this stuff and like the make believe stuff.
0: So the the make believe stuff, the book does not, it doesn't do a straight up Narnia. It doesn't do a straight up magical realism thing. the The magical part of this book is that there's a place called. Um, what is it called? Know, like the land of
1: the most the land of or the land
0: of almost awake, which is a there place that Granny helps Elsa go to um, when it she first you know Elsa thinks that the land of almost awake comes from when um, Elsa's parents were splitting up and she was having trouble sleeping and having lots of nightmares. And so Granny invented this place, Elsa thinks um to give her a series of stories to like you know take her mind off it it's a place you go when your eyes are half closed you don't even have to get fully asleep to go there and it's made up of like six or seven kingdoms um that all have these you know interesting names uh, Miamas and mimovas and mipluris and there's lots of interesting little wordplay um and it's like not straightforward fantasy but there are princesses and knights and there are monsters and there are like shadows and things like that.
1: Is it the Bronte siblings who had that elaborate fictional universe like that, that they made yes. that, that doesn't really, that most of it doesn't really exist anymore? Correct. Yes. Like not, it didn't survive. I mean,
0: yes. Um, let me read two passages that give you a sense of what this world is and then I'll talk about how it functions in the book. Um, Granny says that the kingdom has been called Miyamas for an eternity or at least 10,000 fairy tales, but Elsa knows that Granny only made this up because Elsa couldn't say pajamas when she was small and used to say <laughs> Miyamas instead. Except, of course, <laughs> Granny insists that she never made up a bloody thing, and Miamas and the other five kingdoms in the land of Almost Awake are not only real, but actually far more real than the world we're in now, where, quote, everyone is an economist and drinks lactose-free milk and makes a right fuss. <laughs> <laughs> Granny has a story from Miyamas for every It's
1: spending time on Twitter is <laughs> yeah. what it sounds like.
0: <laughs> Granny likes to rail against the man a lot. Um Granny refers to this person uh oh we'll talk about Granny and, and what she did as a surgeon, but she talks a lot about capital S society holding her back. <laughs> A lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, telling her she couldn't same. practice medicine. Um, Granny has a story from Miamas for every situation. One of them is about Maploris, the kingdom where all sorrow is kept in storage and its princess was robbed of a magical treasure by an ugly witch who sh- whom she's been hunting. One was about the sea angel burdened by a curse that forced her to drift up and down the coast of the land of Almost Awake after losing her beloved. Um, and it goes on and on and on. Like, uh, th- it builds to this war... And you don't actually, like, see this happen. Whenever you encounter it in the book, it is Elsa remembering a story that her grandmother told her. Um, You know, this one fairy tale. The Shadows tried to abduct the Chosen One in order to destroy this place, but the cloud animals saved him and flew him all the way back to Miamas. And when the Shadows came after them, all the inhabitants of the Six Kingdoms of the Land of Almost Awake agreed to protect him. And that was when the War Without End started. Um, And so you get... Like it's a very never ending story. Yeah, it's a very never ending story, and you get character names. You get Wolfheart. You get these beasts called Worses. You get the Chosen One. You get the Sea Angel. Um, and Elsa has a has these as a frame of reference for a body of fiction, which she like occasionally will call out Granny for like stealing things from Harry Potter or <laughs> and, and like because Elsa loves Harry Potter and has a Gryffindor scarf and like cares for it in the way that a 7-year-old cares for like a prized possession or uh, Harry Potter or, or <laughs> yeah um and you know Granny has invented this whole series of stories and as Elsa meets people over the course of the book, she realizes that each of these stories like pertain to one of the people who live in the apartment building. So I did experience as you're going through the book, the fairy tales feel like they don't feel like filler, but they feel like you, you, you you know, they're a setup for something else as opposed to something to necessarily be taken on its own. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um like they're not bracketed off in their own chapters where there's like a compelling narrative to like hook into they are shared with the reader as elsa remembers a story that she can use to make sense of the world um the reason it feels a little magical realismy is that elsa then just like commits to using some of the vocab from these stories like in the close third person that you're reading. So, like, she meets this guy who she has just decided is the monster. He turns out to be more like the old man from Home Alone, where he's scary, but he's actually very helpful and kind and is just a sad person <laughs> who shows up at the exact right times whenever you're in trouble. Um, there's this big monster dog that lives in the apartment complex for some reason, and she constantly refers to it as the fairy tale word, the worse. Um, and that never changes. So, like, the book never actually tells you what kind of dog it is or anything, because through the kid's eyes, that is the is the narrator. You have this patina of fairy tale over everything. Um,
1: well, does that does that invite you to make up your own, like, play along at home and make up your own stuff too? Because I imagine a worse to be just like a worse horse. It's a port. It's a portmanteau. <laughs> of worse and worse maybe
0: in my head. Oh god, I hadn't thought about that. She does like <laughs> climb on it and it's supposed to be like monstrously big. At one point she you can't the it the the narrative style and there's not a I can't even pull out a section of the book that will give you this feeling, but the the third person narrator is so close to her that sometimes in the middle of reading I would think I was reading a first person narrative because it's so in her head um that when she is talking about like providing treats to this dog that she's like keeping in the basement of this apartment building but she's talking about it like she's feeding this mythical creature uh like instant cake mix out of a thermos um you're you're not quite sure what the like elsa version is real and what the quote unquote like objective reality is and that seems to be the point. And that sh- that could be a a of a, a bouncing off point I think for people who are like into the heartwarming learn about my granny's life narrative but aren't here for the what is real and what isn't work. And it's not right. a lot of work, but it is some or you just kind of need to like be willing to gloss it a little bit. And I will be sure. honest, I think I glossed some of it because I once I realized what it was doing um I would like look for the key parts of a story, and then be ready to map it onto some of the other characters that I'd already met.
1: Well, because it's not, and it sounds like there's just a lot of world building going on that is just kind of there to flesh out the the characters, like imaginary world, without really conveying important information to you, the reader. Like world building is not important if you're if the world actually is not what's driving the story if that makes sense or it's not
0: what the book is like focused on being about if to to talk about the book does value stories and so i don't want to like short sell their presence in the book but them being compelling standalone narratives is not the point the the point i think what backman's going for is like uh these are you know stories a grandmother told her granddaughter to help her through times, and here is how that granddaughter uses them to help herself through times. Mm. Um, and Elsa barely interacts with anyone her own age throughout this book, so every time she is talking about these stories, and she talks to all every adult about the, these fairy tale stories, um, but also how she talks with her grandmother they are bridges between generations. So I think the book, Mm -hmm. the book is offering or arguing that stories can like draw people together, even as they are like at very different points in their lives. Um, Similarly, like (laughs) there's a scene where Elsa is talking to a woman who's a psychotherapist uh, who has, you know, lost people in her life and has developed a drinking problem and isn't really relating to people very well and Elsa's trying to convince her to read Harry Potter because like how do you own thousands of books and not own Harry Potter is an argument she gets in with this adult woman okay (laughs) and like later in the book people are both that woman as well as her dad are like trying to read those stories so that they can relate to this girl that is like that they value and, and want to feel valued. Um, There's a similar thing with another character and like them watching Star Wars together. So it's like both the fairy tales of the book and the real world fictional stories that this character is interested in uh, are used as like bridges between people as opposed to like standalone stories that we're going to spend time with.
1: Sure. Um, So you talked a little earlier about the perspective, which is third person verging on first person sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so the the Kirkus reviews uh, piece that I read about this is is mostly positive like mo- the, the reaction to this book is is largely positive yeah. but um, finding the constructive criticism is a good place to, to I think go so if yeah. you are trying to record a book podcast <laughs> for like 55 minutes <laughs> Um Kirkus says the third person narrative voice when aligned with Elsa's perspective reveals heartfelt, innocent observations. But when moving towards omniscience, it can read as too clever by half. I think that's, that comes up for me a lot. When an adult author is writing a kid voice. Yeah. Sometimes the, sometimes the kid voice is kid is like childish in their, like understanding or articulation of things, even if they still get at the essential truth because of how perceptive children are, children have branded themselves as being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. So, like, <laughs> but but then, it, but sometimes it's like, oh yeah, you're, this is clearly like a thirty-two-year-old writing a seven-year-old, and this is why this information is here, and this sounds like this.
0: Yeah. So let me give you two examples. I think that actually get to that w- before I mm, before I do that. Let me yell at myself. Um, there's a f- there's a running thing where seven-year-old Elsa is frustrated by the older people in her life who don't understand technology, and that doesn't. That feels true to me. It even as okay. it might be, Bachman having fun with technology himself. The fact that uh, a seven-year-old would ask some old people that she's talking to to use their computer to look a word up on Wikipedia and then be confused that the computer is two separate pieces and that it takes a minute to start, like that's like a thing, and it plays for a good goof in the moment. Um, her. Her familiarity with iPads and the her lack of you know credulity that anyone would use anything else like it's that feels like a precocious seven year old to me. Um, there's stuff that I think works as as humorous writing, but I could see it falling under that umbrella of like a clever author. Um, okay. So I'll give you those examples. One of the the things that I like about this book is the way it gives you like. Remember, like, it's almost like the Westing game because you have so many people living in this one apartment building that you need, like, quick character sketches and, you know, specific traits to hang your hat on. So that right, like, you...
1: everybody everybody gets to be, like, this is the guy who has a lot of mops. Yes. This, There's... Is, <laughs> this is the lady who wears pink all the time. There's
0: the guy who drinks coffee all the time. Uh, And when he and his wife drink coffee in front of their dog, Samantha, they don't say they're having coffee. They call it a drink for (laughs) grownups because they don't because they treat. That's just that's just combining
1: all my favorite (laughs) stuff about coffee people and dog people. (laughs)
0: Um, There's one. So Elsa's mom has remarried with this guy named George. Uh, She is going to have another kid who Elsa refers to as halfy because it's going to be a half sibling. Um, And she has very mixed feelings about it. George is apparently a really lovely guy who everyone likes. That's like his superpower. Elsa loves superheroes. so She talks about people having superpowers a lot. Um, But Elsa has refused to let herself like him because then she would be like giving in. And that's how she can express like some sort of agency here. But here's Mm -hmm. this. Here's uh, I felt very seen and attacked in in this section on george (laughs) george lives with Mum, and that's not always the easiest of things because it means he also lives next door to granny he has a beard and a very small hat and is obsessed with jogging during which he insists on wearing his shorts over the top of his tracksuit he cooks in english and so when he's reading the recipes he says he says pork instead of flask granny never calls him george just loser which infuriates Mum. but elsa knows why granny's doing it she just wants elsa to know she's on elsa's side no matter what so like the like he has a beard and a small hat and is one of those dudes who's obsessed with jogging. Like okay, attack me, Buckman. Boy, it's Craig, come at me. Hey,
1: that's they. That's the description of Craig. That is definitely me. Um, and the only like, thing that's missing is the
0: bird wall. <laughs> that's true, um, but like that is a, those observations play to an adult reader. Like if they play as a joke, they land for an adult reader that. Bachman is talking to like around Elsa it's not Elsa's point of view that might be making those interesting or funny right um similarly with this guy named Kent uh in the flat under grannies live Britt Marie and Kent they like owning things and Kent especially likes telling you how much everything costs he's hardly ever at home because he's an entrepreneur or a contrapreneur as he likes to joke loudly to people he doesn't know and if people don't laugh right away he repeats it even louder as if their hearing is the problem. And so like just continuing our nickelodeon references <laughs> this is a real this is a real Mr. Dink. It is. <laughs> it is a real Mr. Dink. Um so like again some of those humorous observations and character sketches come from an adult awareness of how people behave that is perhaps just past what you might reasonably believe is Elsa's precociousness. But
1: maybe you can just say, oh, it's just Elsa conveying to me what she
0: sees. And, and I'm getting and the, it, yeah. and
1: it. And it mostly works so I can keep going. Yeah.
0: I, I liked those passages. I pulled them cause I thought they were funny and like reveal a little bit of the sense of humor of the book, but I could see someone going, well, that's not Elsa's sense of humor. That's the author's. And it's like intruding on what I am getting out of it. Like, that wasn't my experience of reading it, but I, I certainly could see how someone would experience it that way. Sure. Um, and I've alluded to the other people in the apartment building. Cause like, So the, the setup of the novel, there are a couple ticking clocks. There's the impending half-sibling. There is obviously Granny's passing, which happens early. And then it's like, okay, we got to do this adventure where we give these letters out. Um, And then there is also kind of a background drama of, will the tenants be able to form a lease association and buy, I think that's what it's called in the book, they're going (laughs) to buy the apartments from the owner of the building. Oh, okay. And then... It's like a put up one last show to save the old performing
1: arts center (laughs) sort of yeah
0: it feels like that except it's very contentious because uh kent is the one driving this and angling for it and he turns out to be a right heel let me tell you what um but he is like driving it for what are clearly like money reasons like he's gonna buy it and then he's just gonna flip it because it's like a good neighborhood um and you learn over the course of the book that some of the people in the apartment probably couldn't afford to make that decision. You also learn over the course of the book that Granny is the one who does own the apartment building. So the like arc of are these people going to be able to stay together? Are they going to do they should they stay together? And how mm-hmm. what role will Elsa play in that? Um, is like the other kind of macro level thing. So you do spend a lot of time kind of bopping between the different rooms in this apartment complex house thing i i'll admit i lost a little sense of like the physical reality of it and that may be the influence of the of the fairy tales i had a little sure. i i had a hard time kind of keeping track of the geography even though that did that did seem to be important to elsa
1: I mean, okay, yeah, you said that, which just invalidated the point I was going to say. But I, I was going to ask <laughs> if that was if that was the point because I mean,
0: maybe to,
1: pe- to people who don't live in in an apartment complex, like it's the the point of it kind of is that it mostly looks the same, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I'm just saying I kind of lost. There's a couple like I I dare I feel weird even calling them like action sequences but there are series of physical action that happen at times that do seem to hinge on like relationships between spaces that I would lose the thread a little bit Um, so it's
1: what you're saying is it's it's clear that the author has a picture character wants you to have a picture of this in mind but it was not conveyed in a way that you could
0: at least follow at least I had trouble with it perhaps because I was you know distracted by the magical realist language or i was you know too invested in the emotional part i'm not sure but i i didn't i did, had a hard time crocking it um, the other characters that we meet are like there's this guy named alf who's a taxi driver whose whole thing <laughs> is that he does he doesn't eat cats <laughs> at least that we see he does curse too much he loves listening to opera and it's oh, just like Alf from the show. Alf Ruth truth. And it's, he's the, one of the first characters, like the second wave of characters that like get involved in Elsa's like quest, like, Oh wow. He knew granny in a way that Elsa never knew about. And like is going to get revealed over the course of the book. Um, he's one of the first ones that like really has a, like a, um, there's more iceberg under the, under the water line. What? You know what I mean. No, that's how that goes. Yeah. Um, that's what they say. And then there's They don't
1: say we don't say it's only the tip of the iceberg anymore. <laughs> we say there's more iceberg under the waterline.
0: And then there's a guy that Elsa starts out car- calling the monster, who's a scary man who lives alone. Um as I alluded to before, he's the the kind of old man from Home Alone character, but she meets him he definitely has a heart of gold. He is clearly suffering from PTSD from some wars that he's been in. Um And is incredibly, like, germaphobic and stuff. And he will, like... He travels around with her. She ends up giving him the name Wolfheart. Because clearly that's this character from the fairy tales that was modeled after him. Um, And the reason all these people actually live in this apartment building... There's a couple people that grew up in it. And then the rest made their way there because of Granny. And she was this, like, world-traveling, successful surgeon who clearly did a lot of, like, Doctors Without Borders, kind of, like, war zone work and working with refugees and stuff. So a number of the characters, like, had a tragic thing happen to them in a different part of the world, and then mm-hmm. she brought them back or at least invited them to stay, and then they never left. Um, so the to me, there's, like the the book as fairy tale if you look at the whole book as a fairy tale it is not a fairy tale with a like binary morality um it's not a like good guys bad guys um it it traffics in like heroes that defeat villains but then like every one of those stories like takes a swerve into a zone of of, of like moral gray um, well
1: like everybody everybody is a hero sometimes or something yeah
0: i think the something like it's either like that or
1: real life isn't that simple kid
0: yeah and i there's like a there's a way that granny puts it that i think involves cursing that i'm not gonna say on air but it's like sure sure, sure, it's something about like most of the time people can be bad and your life is really just about making sure that you're good enough most of the time or like not being bad um and it's real. It's
1: a real like. You only need to run faster than the slowest person <laughs> when you're sure. being pursued by a predator. <laughs> sure. I only have to be better than the worst people. <laughs> um,
0: I'll get to the. Let me make sure I come back to that. Like, who are the worst people in this book? Because I think that okay. is a, a weakness. There's a weakness there. Um, but what I was thinking, yeah, because
1: I guess I guess I'm wondering if there's an antagonist other
0: than like, there is the big the big C. There is, yes. Okay. Um, the the thing about it as a fairy tale that I think mostly works is the serendipity of all these characters being connected and being like tied to Granny in some way and them having these lives that are all like, this person knows that person because they went on a way to war and this person actually used to be in love with that person uh, but then gave her up because they messed up. And this person is really mean to Elsa's mom because she actually thought that she was going to be able to, like, be a bigger part of her life. And um, everybody who is a jerk to someone else has a very, like, oh, that's sad reason for being a jerk. <sighs> um, and not, there's not a single person in the web that doesn't have at least like one or two other nodes at least by the end of the book, and that is very fairy tale be- you know it's very it's fiction the fact that stuff is connected is is often you know it's not just coincidence right in in a story it usually is
1: right, yeah, it's like somebody made it that way, yeah,
0: and so like <laughs> so in a in a children's fairy tale where everything has meaning, like all of these people being connected um that part of it is like a gift that granny is kind of giving her and like a a a very optimistic view of the world i found a review by a dude on his own site just this guy named russ Alberry, who i don't even know what (laughs) his like i think he's just a guy with a blog he's he's a programmer who also likes video games but he wrote this
1: russ Alberry. yeah
0: Um, he wrote this review that's kind of nice and jives with my experience of the book. Um, He says, I am as a side note, once again, struck by the subtle difference in stories from cultures with a functional safety net. I caught my American brain puzzling through ways that some of the people in this book could still be alive and living in this apartment building since they don't seem capable of holding down jobs before realizing the story is not set in a brutal Hobbesian jungle of all against all like the United States. Wow, that's that's a read, isn't it? The existence of the safety net plays a significant role in this book, apart from, uh, plays no significant role in this book apart from putting a floor under how far people can fall, and yet it makes all the difference in the world, and in some ways makes his plot possible. Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, hmm. So I just tossed I mean, out I there. mean, listen, con- counterpoint. A lot of the books that we've read on this show can only exist if America is a brutal... Hobbesian always, jungle. All Hobbesian jungle. Yeah. So
0: which is better for literature? I just... Russ Alberry. I just never thought I would discover that paragraph, and I didn't know how much I needed to read it Yeah. after I read this book. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because
1: I feel like often when we're reading books that are set in another country, it's like olden
0: times yeah it was very interesting to read a a modern european book but not a british book um that was not like wrestling with a specific historical conflict or era like i feel like that's a lot of what we read for the show and
1: and in fact you know for 2013 2015 was pretty zeitgeisty in its in its like Young person has a relative die and then goes on an adventure of sorts to sort yeah. shape.
0: Yeah. yeah, but also it it talks about characters going off to wars plural and is very non specific about what those are. Um, it talks about uh, the Wolfheart is this refugee character from another country, and so it's it has a very generous uh, vibe towards people like migrant peoples and people who are displaced um it does i think reference the tsunami that hit india um, okay because that is where the one woman like lost her family Uh, but it doesn't do it by name it just says like a couple years uh, this happened in a place not near here kind of thing um but other than that like the the realities of the world outside of this city and neighborhood are pretty like fuzzy on purpose um i think to a positive effect so the thing that didn't really land for me um because granny's pretty rad i loved elsa in this book there's a scene where elsa bangs on a dude's car with her textbook to to like make him mad that he beeped at her mom in traffic <laughs> <laughs> um, and Elsa's like telling off kids about whether or not she could wear a Spider-Man costume and like yelling at teachers. Elsa's just rules throughout this book. Um, okay. There is an antagonist of sorts whose name is Sam. You encounter him twice in the book before you know who he is. And he is someone who attempts to take Elsa and you don't know who he is. You don't know why he's doing what he's doing you I'm just, just like, take her literally attempts to take her like um, tries to take her like from a playground near school at one point oh, and she is saved. That's bad. Yeah. And she is saved by the monster slash wolf heart at that point. And then similarly at granny's funeral, she, she like, she can't handle the funeral. And I will say that a lot of what I think was hitting me in this book, both in, like in my gut and also in my head was like in, in ways that I was <laughs> the two the two places in ways that I was conscious of and in ways that I think are only like hitting me as I think about the book and digest the book is like I lost my grandmother who spent her entire life in my house when I was in eighth grade and so the re- the relationship between Elsa and her grandmother isn't like one to one with mine but like Losing someone like that who occupied a different role in your life, Um, it specifically being a grandmother and it being a unique relationship that definitely felt different from other relationships that you had or knew. Um, There's a lot of Elsa that I just very personally identify with. And so, like, that part of the book is very moving. So it's very frustrating Um, to encounter this Sam character, who like Elsa <laughs> runs out of her grandmother's funeral because she can't handle it. She, there's too many people there who apparently knew her grandmother, and like, and I distinctly remember there being one or two people at my grandmother's funeral who I was like, "Who is that person? Why do they know right. who she is? That seems wrong." Uh-huh. Um, and so she runs out of there. She runs out into the graveyard, and this man tries to take her. Um, and I, I think Wolfheart saves her again. I don't really remember how that gets resolved but the man gets away um then we need to debrief on who this man is he is the father of the another tenant the boy with a syndrome um as elsa calls him who is a he's a boy a year younger than her he does not speak um for whatever reason um and his mom is caring for him on her own And he had an abusive father who had, you know, dealt with anger issues and substance abuse issues. And he turns out to be the son of one of the pairs of tenants. Um, And there's like a a very like thin sliver of logic where because they like got away from him while the kid was young enough, he doesn't quite like know what the kid looks like a few years later. Mm-hmm. And because Elsa has a similar haircut, he actually thinks she's his. Like, okay, that, and that's so. It's
1: it's not especially nefarious, I guess.
0: Well, it is not specifically nefarious to Elsa. It is sure. nefarious. Re- okay, yes, that's what I mean. Um, and I think what didn't work for me about it is that it felt like it wasn't. It was. It was. Um, it was like a glancing storyline against Elsa's. It like it was an antagonist that wasn't actually about her quest if that makes sense
1: yeah like i was going to say it feels like maybe inserted to to bend the dramatic arc of the book a little bit but yes. isn't especially well integrated into a book that otherwise seems pretty internally yeah because the like consistent right the
0: the build-up to the the most climactic scene in the book the, the tensest scene in the book is the final attempt at for, of this guy to take elsa and uh the worse you know saves her in a very heroic fashion other characters who have been against her who could have like made it harder for people to help her have like not done that and, and been kind to her along the way. Um, so there's like mini payoffs, but it doesn't seem like the culmination of Elsa's relationship with her granny. It doesn't seem like the culmination of her understanding her mom or her dad better scenes with her mom and her dad are really gorgeous and really heartwarming. And then this really feels like it was put in there to give some sort of suspense and like adventure anxiety to the book. Um, mm-hmm. the kind of like, what will happen next? Um, when that isn't really what the book is is strongest at. Uh, I do think the way that Bachman like reintegrates that plot into the epilogue of the book where it kind of does a like, here's where everyone winds up sort of way. Um his parents do go like visit him in whatever facility or or you know, place that he has taken after this event, wherever I don't know. I don't think it's just a jail I think it's something else um and there it is very clear that like those characters believe that they have to do good by this person um because he is a human and deserves basic goodness um and that the book is very aware and Elsa is very aware of the tension of what you do with like no that person harms people how do I feel about that and what do I do about that um that's it's actually one of the things that like Granny is connected to that person and she apologizes for her own misgivings about that person. Um, so the book treats it with a very nuanced lens, which is nice and is actually part of what the book's very good at. But the like, here's a man who's here to steal Elsa and Elsa's... <laughs> it's like it doesn't feel connected to the central, you know, mysteries or stakes for the characters. Um, and it's weird. I, I don't know. I haven't felt... A, I haven't read a book in a while that felt like it had something so just like kind of like out of place. Like it's almost like a garden and there's just like one flower that's just like uh, at a completely different angle. Like maybe (laughs) it's like a different plant and like it's a fine plant. It just doesn't belong here. Sure. It's messing up the whole aesthetic. Yeah,
1: this is I like that you've gone to despite not owning a Switch or playing Animal Crossing, you've gone to a very Animal Crossing place with this this metaphor. I mean it's for, also just gardening. It. It's not <laughs> yeah, is there gardening outside Animal Crossing? Well I not mean, even. real life gardening might be based on the mechanics of Animal Crossing, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, yes. That's true. All things flow mm-hmm. from Mr. Nintendo, Jim Tendo. That's true. Um This was a fun book. I did really like it. I I could see how folks would bounce off it and I could see how and I personally found like as I said the same thing a little underwhelming but it is um if you're going to read this book right now there's a lot of grief in it and so just be careful but I <laughs> I think uh similar to how I felt with a death in the family I think it's an interesting book for where you might put some specific griefs or find some ways to like think about how other people deal with it. Um if and and again I I don't want to oversell how like the book being just like a sad book, it's actually very humorous um and and charming. But yeah, it's real it's real. There's a thing he says a couple of times where, like, there's a phrase, there's too much reality for an eight-year-old is, like, a phrase that happens a couple of times when... Yeah,
1: that's, yeah, I can see that.
0: When, when the adults, like, lean heavy on a real story that they're explaining to Elsa, and she kind of gets fuzzy and loses some of the details, and she just says, there's too much, uh, the narrator says, that's too much reality for an eight-year-old. And, like, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. It did have. Now that you say it, Andrew, now that you say it, thirty minutes ago, it did have a "Hey Arnold" building vibe to it.
1: Well, because there's that episode, and I was gonna bring it up, but then we moved past it, and so I wasn't gonna like force it to go back to "Hey Arnold." Fair enough. Again. Fair enough. There was that episode of "Hey Arnold" where Arnold has to like collect the rent from each of the tenants who live in the yes! building that his grandparents yes! are like the landlords of, and he gets caught up in like a bunch of short little stories, which is. Cause there are a bunch of tenants, and I think Hey Arnold was eleven minute, like each twenty two yes. minute episode was, was two, two eleven, 11 minute yeah. stories, and to do that in eleven minutes is pretty, that's pretty fast. But yeah, that 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 is what came to mind when you were doing your descriptions, especially once I landed on Arnold's grandparents as the <laughs> as my sort of brain cannon for her her granny.
0: Yeah, let me just go out on a quote about granny. Um, talking you know we we hear about how she was this war zone surgeon did all this wonderful work but one day someone decided she was too old to save lives even if elsa quite strongly suspects what they really meant by too old was too crazy granny refers to this person as society and says it's only because everything has to be so bloody politically correct nowadays that she's no longer allowed to make incisions in people and that it was really mainly about society getting so bleeding fussy about the smoking ban in the operating theaters and who could work under these sorts of conditions (laughs) Granny is out there to tell it like it is and not suffer fools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elsa picks up on that and it's it's pretty endearing. She should start a radio shock jock Yo. program. Granny. Should. Yeah, Granny would eat that roll up if she could. Um, thanks for letting me tell you about this book, Andrew. Um, thanks for telling me about it. I don't know that we really solved the mystery of what Susan likes about this book, but probably all the same things that I liked is what I'll say. Sure, yeah. Susan, let us know. <laughs> Send us an email at overdupod at gmail.com, Susan, and let me know if I got it right. Uh, Twitter.com/slash overdupod and Facebook.com/slash overdupod are the websites that you can use to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, thanks to Neil, Megan, Danny, Melly, Michelle, Tabitha, Barb, Heather, Joshua, Marta, Ebony, Mike, Anthony, Kyle, Amber, Terry, and many more. We did one of our What You're Reading threads in the last week, so check those feeds out if you need some book recommendations, aside from what we're reading, which is clearly what you should be reading. Um, (laughs) Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go?
1: Overdopodcast.com is that website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play. We're also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Um, In lieu of our a uh, regular spiel i think we wanted to talk about one larger thing that we're yeah. doing on the on the website uh going forward so we've had for a long time like since we started we've had links to uh, amazon to buy the books that we are reading and have read so that you know people who listen to an episode and then want to get a book can do that and we get a, like a tiny cut of that but we want to do our part as like an independent podcast that, that is supported by listeners to support like independent bookstores yeah that are local to you so we are starting to uh put up links to bookshop.org pages for the books that we are reading um that is a site that basically links you up with local independent bookstores to get the books that we are reading
0: yeah you, um, you can still buy the books online but you can designate you know Affiliates towards local bookstores or help you find it in your local bookstore, um, yeah. which a lot of them are having a time right now. So, what better time to start supporting them if you aren't already? Um, so, we thought this would be like it would it would
1: dovetail well with like our values and it would help the wider book community. That's the
0: goal, and anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, their ebook solution is not like totally ideal and we're still configuring out what we're going to do there. Like if we're going to keep uh, putting Amazon links us up alongside the the bookshop links, or if we're going to go and look into like Kobo or Barnes and Noble's Nook or like some other like e-reader ecosystem, that's still something that we're figuring out on our end. But the bookshop thing should be done this week. Uh, we have a shop page that will Uh, Put up that has all the books for all the episodes we've done and then a few like curated lists for some series and some other things.
0: Um, But then if you're going through. Yeah. If you're going through the back catalog, you should find on the website on the the website. Yes. Specifically, you should find links to every to all the books that we could find uh, on Bookshop, um, which is a way to both support our show if you want, but also to support local bookstores um, and Bookshop's mission, which is great um again if a book doesn't have that uh we weren't able to do that and you might see some other links that we are hoping to add we're trying to be flexible and trying to put in some time to make sure that people can find books where they want to find books and not just resort to one big corporate organism yeah i think that's it i think that's it all right everybody um next week i am
1: going to be reading orlando a biography by virginia Woolf. Um, we've also, at some point this month, we've got the Hellboys episode going up that gets us to the end of Paradiso,
0: correct? Yep, that'll come out at the end of the month. Take a look out for, for that. Take a look out for uh, that, is what I say. Take said. a look
1: out for that. That's just the rest of the iceberg's underwater, guys.
0: Take a look out <laughs> for that iceberg. <laughs> it's under the
1: waterline. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to our 90s Nickelodeon cartoon fan cast. <laughs> and until we get at you next week, try to be happy.